Oh, hey guys, Andrea Gazetta here. I just wanted to pop in and let you know that on Friday, August 12th, I am going to be releasing uh, my new book. It's called Stratosphere. It's a compendium of all of the original artwork that I created for my solo show Stratosphere last April at Far Gallery. It's going to be 120 pages. It's seven, uh, eight by 10, all color, has a lot of like writings, some poetry. I explain sort of why I created the work, why it's important to me, my thoughts and feelings going into the show. And then of course, images of every single piece in the show, as well as like some beautiful sort of close-up images to get a sense of the sexiness of the texture. I'm really excited about it. It looks super cool and it's only gonna be $30. So it's super affordable. I know I had a lot of people reach out and say that they love the show but they don't have you know $300 to take home an original piece of artwork so I think this is a really good option if you like the show and you want a little piece of that that will be available on my website that's at andreagazetta.com shop if you go there now and you don't see it uh it might not have come out yet. That's fine. Go ahead and just click the link and subscribe to my newsletter. As soon as the book is released, you'll get that information that it's released and you can go ahead and pre-order it. This is going to be a closed edition book, meaning however many pre-orders I get between Friday, August 12th and September 1st, that's all the books that I'm going to make. So every single book will be numbered and signed by me. You can even ask me to send you a note or tell you my favorite color or anything else. I'll do it. Uh, I'm doing this all by myself. So I have the time kind of let's do it. I'm, I'm down. So yeah, if you like that and you want to do that, go ahead and, and order that right now. That would be super cool. Uh, I love you. Oh, and also if you're part of my Patreon, you'll get 10% off. So if you're in the $5 tier or up patreon.com slash Andrea Gazetta, you're going to get 10% off the book, which is pretty freaking cool. And I just really appreciate everyone who has supported me in any way that you supported me. Thank you so much for listening and I love you. Bye. Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Hoods, burning crosses, the clan is here. Oh, damn. Yeah, they're back. But hey, I know that sounds ominous and terrible because it is. But this episode is a wild fucking ride. And uh, <laughs> I am here for every single part of it. The only thing crazier than this episode is the next one. So I am very excited that we got through this one to get to the next one. This one fucking rocks and you're going to love it. Uh, before we get into it, a couple things. First off, Head Down by Mom's Home. Brand new banger just came out a couple weeks ago. You're going to want to listen to it. You're going to want to bang that shit in the car. Baby is a good song. That's Head Down by Mom's Home. There is a link in the description. I love you so much. Go listen to that. Uh, also, go to patreon.com slash cultpodcast to help uh, support us uh, make the show. It's going to be good. Um, if you don't support us, we will have to turn to bootlegging. So, um, yeah, help us out with that if you can. Um, otherwise, it's also okay. Just keep listening to the show. We love you. And, uh, yeah, I think without any further ado, let's hop into the show. Hello. Hello. Moonshine. Glug, glug, glug. Don't drink the cool. 
purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have questionable visions. Yay! Oh, <laughs> awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Are we talking questionable vision like the, the like me without my glasses on in the morning? Might as well be, honestly. That's how mm. clear some of these visions are and uh, beliefs in how the world was formed. We'll mostly get to that next week, although there's some of it this week. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. awesome. I love nothing more than a, uh, I guess you would call it alternative view on how... <laughs> life and earth has come to fruition uh <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially after last week when it was just very real where it was just like here's an assassination yes uh and this is partially this week most the weirdest stuff happens next week but i'm just preparing you like if you read the christian version of the creation story and we're like mm. this needs more bestiality get mm. ready for next week <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah, it is wild, wiggity wild. Yeah, yeah. Wow. An interesting and thought-provoking uh, ad for Cult Podcast episode two of this series. You're welcome. This episode is going to be a lot more about the KKK. So Ooh, you know, okay. what's up? All right. We're Our favorite okay. villains. Did you? Is this a story written for me? It's got white supremacy, bestiality. Two things that, by the way, I love to hate. Not that I enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I got to yeah, be yeah, clear yeah. up top. <laughs> and a hilarious name that we should get this out of the way. Uh, so, okay. A little bit of how we got here. So, I actually got a message from a family friend a few days ago who had moved near a compound that believes the philosophy started by this man. Um, and she texted me about it and was like, Hey, um, so apparently there's a cult that lives near us, but we didn't know. <laughs> what a weird fight. Hey, bestie. Hey, friendo. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, there's actually two cults that live near her, Oh, um, but they are related. And so that's why we're starting with this one. And then I, I may tie the other one in because they are similar, um, depending on how long it takes us to get through this guy's story. Because right now it's two episodes. If it goes longer, then we'll probably save the other cult for another time. But so that's how I found this. So we actually had this guy in our files relating to someone else because I had a file on a man with a very unfortunate name uh, who had a very famous university that at one point had a weight requirement to be at the university because being outside their parameters of physical fitness was considered ungodly. And so you were considered not spiritually well, and they would kick you out of the college. Mm. Um, I got that demon body, baby. Ooh, look at me. Yeah, there you go. Mm, I got these Um, demonic man tits. Yes. Uh, Now, I I do want to do the episodes on that guy eventually. But the reason we had him kind of involved 
is because the guy that we're covering today was his mentor. So the guy we're covering today actually mentored Jim Jones and Billy Graham within like years of each other. Whoa. And very notably, the guy whose name I have to get out of the way because I know you're going to laugh at it and we're going to mention it a bunch, particularly next week, but a little bit this week. Oral Roberts. <laughs> his name is Oral? <laughs> yeah, his name is Oral. Uh. That's his real name. That's also, if you remember the Adult Swim uh, TV oral? show, Moral Oral. That's why he's named that. So this guy oh was, the guy we're covering today was Oral Roberts's mentor. Um, so, and, and Oral Roberts University had the weight requirement. And... I, I do when I eventually get that those episodes finished, I think we should have Blaine on because it's a whole lot of like pushing plate for the Lord and I feel like he'd have a Ooh, good time. Absolutely. Also, I'm yeah. looking it up here. It says his full name was Oral Benjamin Roberts, but he used to go by BJ. Is that true? <laughs> Oral BJ Roberts. Yeah. Hold on, I'm gonna turn <laughs> oh on the God. light really quick. It was just too sexual talking about Oral in the dark. Uh so <laughs> why couldn't his name be Oral Richard? I mean, I don't know. Like, Oral Roberts sounds like a directive. Like, could you go over there and Oral Roberts really quick? Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Oral Roberts. Yeah. Uh huh. That sounds uh-huh. like a group of men all named Rob who are extremely dedicated to the pussy. Or a really unfortunate barbershop quartet name for like four guys <laughs> named Robert. <laughs> But then they'd spell it like A U R A L, were the oral Roberts. Yeah. Like, you hear us. Um, What's up, baby girl? We're the oral Roberts. Wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> Do what? Saying- Oh, ever since we did 365 on Romancing the Pod, anytime I hear anyone say baby girl, I just hear. If you have not watched 365, do yourself a favor mm-hmm. and, and watch it later tonight because it's Fifty Shades but worse. Oh, <laughs> like hilariously bad! But the main character is is an Italian mafia guy who's just like, "Are you lost, baby girl?" And it's just <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. Oh man, did you see that TikTok that I shared? I I can't remember. Oh, it was Joe Gambino. And it's this guy in uh, New York, and he's just getting out of, I oh, fuck. I think it's a Kia Sentra or something. Yes, I did see that. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like the new Mafia ride. And I was like, a Kia Sentra? Yeah, and he's just like, look, hey, hey, okay, look, here's the deal. All right, He's got everyone, 16 cup holders. What do you want? Everyone's giving me shit. They say, big guy like you, you should be driving an Escalade or something. No, no, no. This Kia's got all I need, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. I love that man. And I that just want That was a terrifying peek into your future, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Most people don't know where they're going to be in five years. I saw a video of it. I'm going to be <laughs> Joe Gambino of the Joe Gambino crime family driving a Kia Sentra all around New York. Isn't it a Nissan Sentra? Kia Sorento? Kia Sorento. That's, that's what, what it is. was. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So this this series might age you a bit because okay. it's going to be a lot. It's a lot of brain space. I'm already looking at Kia thinking. Sorrentos right now. You should. They're af- affordable. Uh, so <laughs> today we're diving into a short series on modern faith healing or rather the origins of modern faith healing. The famous dudes, how the KKK was involved. And this will probably be a jumping off point for a number of other series. So 
much like when we did um, our Satanic Panic series or our deprogramming series, a lot of stuff grows out of it. And so you have to refer back to it a lot. This is going to be one of those series, but we're primarily going to be focusing on a man named William Marion Branham. Okay. Sources. Now, here's what's pretty interesting. Speaking of our deprogramming series, two of the articles we're using today were written by Stephen Hassan, who, if you remember from some of the documentaries that we used for the deprogramming series, was actually a former uh, cult member. He was part of the Moonies and then Mm -hmm. has gotten out and has become... a a really prominent researcher for controlling religious groups. So he wrote two of the articles we're using. One is the message cult, uh, which modern day people who adhere to the beliefs of uh, William Branham are often called the message bringers or the message receivers. Uh, And then his second one is the racist effects of William Branham's message churches. And then we have an NPR Illinois, uh, both podcast and article on booze, blood, and bombs, prohibition in Southern Illinois. And then we have an article from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch from August 16th, 1993, church attacks protests after sheltering minister in sex case. So we'll get into that in a little bit too. Okay. Yeah, I know. I was like reading the headline. I was like, I know what this headline is about. Like, because I've read the article and yet confusion. Anyway, so... William Branham was born April 6th, 1909 to Charles and Ella Harvey Branham near Burkesville, Kentucky, and he would become the oldest of 10 children. So right off the bat, we have some cult podcast greatest hits. He's born at a shitty time in a shitty place with too many kids for his parents to actually care for. <laughs> it's the cult leader soup. It's what most of them were born out what of. What do you mean? No, that's how you're supposed to do parenting. You have a child and then you keep having children and then the children raise the children. And then when and you get hungry. Those children raise two children yeah. and they raise two children. And if you get too hungry, you just eat the weakest link. That's how yeah. you do it. Exactly. Uh, but you telling me you never, yeah, you telling me you never had long piglet before? Oh no, <laughs> that's children meat. No, oh, why isn't Mikey here to play with us about cannibalism? <laughs> anyway, long piglet. Uh, it instantly gets weirder because later on in life, William would claim that at the time of his birth, there was a floating orb of light above him. Unfortunately, later in life, William used to claim this about a lot of photos because he misunderstood lens flare. And <laughs> <laughs> He's just watching a J.J. Abrams movie like, oh, look at this. This fucking Kirk guy got a fucking God over him. Dude, Spock is holy. Like, how do we miss this? Holy shit. Uh he he frequently would point to photos of him with lens flare and be like, see, the Lord is watching me. Uh, even after people pointed out that it was very likely the fluorescent overhead lighting of the venue. Um, so there's like oh a very famous photo of him preaching that people point to that. They're like, look at the orb, look at the light above his head. And I'm like, that's clearly fluorescent lighting. <laughs> like, it's so obviously fluorescent lighting. So, but there are many things that he would claim in his life that are pretty obviously disproven, uh, but he would claim them nonetheless. So that's the kind of person we're dealing with. Okay. So, uh, 
He would later in life uh, tell people that from childhood, he saw miracles and heard voices. Specifically, he would claim that he used to hear the trees talking to him and the trees would tell him everything from not drinking coffee or alcohol because they were bad to, hey, your family's going to move to Jefferson, Indiana. Um, But unfortunately, this is either complete bullshit, very possible. He lied a lot in his life. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling to see what the or is going to be in this sentence. Or worse, dissociative behavior from a child who has had a horrifying home life. And it mm. is very probably the latter because even before the stock market crash uh, of the Great Depression, so 1929, so this is considerably about 20 years about 20 years before that. Even before that happened, shit was not good. Uh, he was a child when World War I started, um, and his family were farmers, but they were incredibly poor. Their farm did not produce enough to survive, and they had 10 kids. So his father decided he needed to take on an extra job to make ends meet. And unfortunately, he took that job on the wrong side of the law, the law being prohibition. Ooh, okay, all right, I'm back in, baby. Back in it, back in it. Oh, uh, first of all, I do want to say that I, I think it was interesting that he had to grow up hearing his mom yell at his dad, being like, "Can you grow anything other than talking trees?" Fucking god <laughs> damn it! They Nobody don't produce any that. fruit. They just yell at you. Quit growing ants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quit growing. Yeah. They have uh, no sustainable crops and we don't need a tree army right now. The civil war's over. You yeah. should have grown these 50 years ago. Yeah. You didn't get the full the full sentence that the trees were saying. He was actually saying, "Don't drink alcohol. Sell it." Yeah. There's money in the alcohol stand. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, always money in the money alcohol, in the alcohol stand. stand. So his father took a job with O.H. Wathen, who was the owner of R.E. Wathen Distilleries in Louisville, Kentucky, which was close by where they lived in Jefferson, Indiana at the time. Um, Now, his job was to help coordinate Wathen's new enterprise now that Prohibition had started. And that enterprise was to be the bootleg supplier for Al Capone. Now. (laughs) Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That meant... That William's family was still pretty poor because he wasn't making a ton of money doing this. But they were also working with the fucking mob. And that put them in the crosshairs of someone just as dangerous, the KKK. Now, (laughs) I had to do some digging here because when we covered the KKK, we did not delve into their war with the mob. I feel like we would have had we known about it. In digging, I found out that this was a very specifically regional problem for Illinois, Kentucky, and Indiana. Here's what was going down. Prohibition is widespread. So was bootlegging. And the KKK in the area had set themselves up as kind of the hall monitors for prohibition. Oh, fucking. Are you serious? Yes. No one asked them to do this. No one wanted them to do this. Overwhelmingly, prohibition was not popular. No. <laughs> uh No, people loved booze, but also a lot of people sold booze or they sold things from their farms to the distilleries. So Prohibition was actively causing a mini depression in the areas around distilleries. 
Uh, and William's family was no exception. That's kind of what they had fallen into. But here's another reason. See, the bulk of the people bootlegging in the area were Italian. And Italians were not considered white yet in this part of history. <laughs> and if there's one thing the KKK hated at the time, it was fucking Italians. Oh, my God. I, hey, my apologies to Joe Gambino, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was bootlegging in that fucking Kia Sorento, baby. <laughs> I came out and there's a burning Kia Sorento on the lawn. What am I supposed to think? <laughs> you gotta at least respect a little bit. The clans need to be the fucking worst in every available All aspect. the time. A hundred percent. Just their willingness to completely be on the wrong side of history every single time. Well, and the clans, like, if you ask the clan, like, why are you being such dicks about prohibition? Uh, their answer was they, they were trying to preserve the white American family and that alcoholism could rip families apart. Now, here's the thing. That's not entirely wrong because alcoholism is a challenge even today. But completely, like, removing booze was probably not the answer. No. No, absolutely it wasn't. But also... That was bullshit because some of the KKK were also bootlegging in other parts of the country. Hardcore. So this is just them trying to have a palatable reason to go to war with the Italians. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If I, I almost guarantee you that if the Italian mafia didn't have a foothold in this, they would be the ones bootlegging. A hundred percent. A hundred. They would have stills doing whiskey overnight. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So... They use this as a reason to go to war with the mob, which here's the thing. It's the fucking mob. Yeah. <laughs> like they have a reputation for a reason. But this left William's family in the middle of an Italian clan turf war, and it was bad. So the reality is that William had a very scary childhood and witnessed some fucked up shit. Absolutely. I do. Okay. I have a question. Sure. At this point in time, how... How long has the mob been, like, active in America? So the mob's been in America for... This is still early. Okay. You know, this, so th they've been here for, like, 20, maybe 30 years max. Okay. that Because this is kind of what happens where, like, the Klan has been the big bad guy for a while now. Like, post-Civil War. Like, we talked about this in our fucking series about the Klan. And so they got this new guy coming in and being like... <laughs> Who's afraid of the mob? And we, as people who know how this shakes out, are like, you fucking idiots. But you this should is, be. <laughs> this is like a thing that keeps happening. Like, I, eventually, I hope we'll get to talk about it. And I, I'm, a, I'm sorry that I sound excited about it. But it's like, eventually. To talk about the mob as a cult? The, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, but, I, let's get into it. Yes. But also, like, later in life, when the cartels started oh, popping yeah. up, the mob was like, <laughs> get a load of the cartels. Who would ever be afraid of them? And it's like, as a podcaster, I would never say a bad thing about the cartels. Into oh, a microphone. I okay. So the tangent. Uh, Mikey, Todd, and I have all been fascinated with this documentary series. There's a new episode out tonight, and there's one more left uh, through HBO called uh, "The Anarchists" about an anarchist commune in Acapulco, Mexico, mm -hmm. that people end up dying because they mix it up with the cartels and shit. Yeah. And we have been fascinated by it well probably i will probably do an episode on it at some point because there's a lot of like 
crypto weirdness con man nonsense it's right up our alley uh but it's one of those things where like the second they were like well they were selling cocaine you're just like oh no 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 why would you do that (laughs) yeah i i just i love the uh i love i always love the transition of power in criminals and the criminal underworld where this this newfangled thing called the italian mob shows up and everyone's like ah fuck these guys how bad could they be yeah well it it goes kind of interesting in in this part of the world at this point in time because this is the clan has like this is post-civil war clan right and then after this they kind of break up for a while and then we are also going to deal with the second clan like the second iteration of the clan later in the same episode two different clans oh yeah one same bad so this war continues and their family's caught in the middle And the clan consistently would attack the distillery and then they would wait for the people from the distillery to be taken to the hospital. And then they'd attack the hospital (laughs) like they they were going so hard. Oh, my God. And for a brief moment in time, the clan won briefly. Uh, March of 1924, William Branham's father was arrested as part of the criminal activities and he was convicted and sentenced to prison. Now. The Indiana Ku Klux Klan claims responsibility for this and for shutting down the liquor producing ring that he was a part of. Now, at the same time, like literally the same month, within weeks, William Branham, the son, was shot in both legs. Damn! Now, yes. Now, here's the thing. Later in life, he will tell people that this was a hunting accident. In reality, it is very likely that he was continuing to run booze for his father or was in the process of doing it. Um, and, and probably not willingly. He was only 14 at the time oh. um, and was then shot in both legs. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if the mob came to collect and that that's what happened. We don't know if the clan shot him. We're not sure. Also, two of his brothers are almost killed at the same time. So I suspect that Whatever happened with his dad going to prison causes a lot of this violence, but there's just not a lot of information about it. Um, So he's rushed to the hospital. His family, with his father in prison, they're unable to pay his medical bills. So who should step up to do so but the Klan? So... What? Yes, the Indiana Ku Klux Klan shows up and pays for his hospital bills now and how did they fund this did they have a bake cake k sale i maybe uh we don't (laughs) fully know uh we don't know why this happened um i have two theories one they are the ones who shot him and realized that it was a young boy Mm -hmm. and didn't want to look bad Um, oh yeah god forbid the ku klux klan look bad well, remember, Will- William and his family are white. I know. I know. And so, I know that they like they don't think racism is a bad look. And I get it. But also, like, it's a hilarious sentence. Right. But then the flip side is maybe they didn't shoot him, but they are trying to portray themselves in this conflict as the lesser of two evils of like, see, we take care of them. Like, we ended this liquor ring and then we took care of their kids when they left them. You know, like they're trying to kind of spin it. Hmm. Either way, 
that image kind of holds until a group of white bootleggers called the Shelton Gang come in and basically bomb and shoot the clan out of existence. Oh, damn. Yeah, like in the area, like they show up and they're just like, fuck off. And they take over the booze ring for about six months until prohibition was repealed. So like, it's a very short-lived conflict. But essentially what happens is William, who is a child with a tenuous understanding of the politics and economics of prohibition, when the Klan ended his father's illicit job and then paid for his hospital bills, he saw it as the Klan interceding for his safety. So he buys into their moral imperative bullshit, which is bullshit. Uh, and in his mind, the Klan were his saviors. And to be honest, from his point of view, it is possible, but not provable, it's possible that his dad was not a great guy. Some descriptions of his childhood paint his father as an abusive alcoholic. But the reality is the Klan had their own reasons. They're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. But in his view, the Klan may have saved him from an abusive home life by removing his father mm. and paying for his legs. Maybe his father shot him. We don't know. Um Regardless, he grows into adulthood with an admiration for the clan because of his childhood, which is real fucked up. He then briefly, at the age of 19, leaves home for Phoenix, Arizona, where he briefly has a successful career in boxing. I have no other information other than he won a bunch of fights because it gets cut short because he has to go home for a funeral. So in the time that he's gone from... In the time that he's gone from Indiana, and it's probably a good thing he was gone. It probably saved his life because his brothers back home form a mini crime ring of their own and they're shitty at it. So two of them get shot. One of them dies. One of them accidentally shoots someone else and kills them and ends up in prison and then dies in prison. It's a whole thing. So he goes home for a funeral and he would claim later in life that this is the first time he had ever heard a prayer. I think that's bullshit. Oh, absolutely. Like, you grew up in where? Kentucky? You never heard of Kentucky before? and Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, Mr. Bullet Legs, the welterweight champion of the lower Kentucky line or whatever. <laughs> so he decides to stay in Indiana because the family is in trouble. And he gets a job locally with the Public Service Company of Indiana. Now, I think this is like like your utilities company. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the accounts that I could find say that while on the job, he was, quote, overcome by gas and had to be hospitalized. <laughs> okay. I want to make fun of him, and I will. But also, I, as somebody who's lactose intolerant... <laughs> I get it, my guy. Okay. We've all been there. We've all eaten too much ice cream. I went to a housewarming party last night and I was talking with people who are like, you know, as you start to get older, you start to like associate with people that are like older and they talk about like older people shit. No, like, and not even older. Literally I just, older people shit. Yeah. It's tough for us to shit when we're older. Dude, fucking 30-year-olds love talking about how hard it is to poop now. It is so hard to so poop. Ins- they will bring it up without me even trying to bring it up. 
But we have probiotic sodas now. Yeah. Come over to the dark side. A hundred percent. I talk, people talk about it all the time. We were having a conversation about how like somebody was like, oh, onions give me heartburn. And somebody else was like, oh, if I have too much garlic, I get gas. And I, and I was like, yeah, all of that shit happens to me. The difference between you and I is I just fucking deal with it, baby. There's a couple <laughs> days a week. I work from home that night. I will eat so much cheese and I will factor diarrhea into my goddamn workday like a fucking adult, okay? I change my Slack little notification thingy, I change it to the poop emoji, and I tell people I will take a meeting and I will not turn on my camera and I will be muting myself frequently, okay? Oh, God. <laughs> All oh, this Lord. to say, it, I get it. I get the gas not being able to let you work. Yeah, um, and, and at first, my thought was the same, where I was like, did he eat a whole lasagna by himself? Like, what's happening? How did he, how do you have to be hospitalized? But then I realized he was working at the utilities company, so he probably inhaled a bunch of gas. Oh! <laughs> Okay, well... But it took me a minute, too, where I was like, damn, how bad was this gas? Then I'm like, oh, right. Okay, well, <laughs> on the subject of inhaling a bunch of gas, as somebody who's lactose intolerant, yeah. I have <laughs> inhaled a lot of gas. I have factored in the amount of farts I will need to inhale from my own body. Yeah, the other day I was at this housewarming party, and people were like, oh, inhaling gas makes me want to pass out. And it's like, I work that into my fucking workday, okay? I put a yeah, nitrous I a oxide wind tank. Emotion. Yeah, <laughs> and I die every time. So I'm pretty sure this is carbon monoxide that, mm. that he inhaled, that he got carbon monoxide poisoning. That makes more sense. Um, that makes a lot more sense. That makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, that he inhaled too much gas while working for the gas company. Yeah, but I could not stop laughing at the alternative of just like an old timey dude just like farting and in pain in an old timey hospital where they're like, we're going to have to take your butt. There's we're going to have to cut it off. <laughs> Bite down on this belt. The leeches aren't doing it. <laughs> we're going to have to take your butt is very good. I do like the thought of him working for the gas company and having the first type of gas we thought of. Like what a great little like terrible world to live in where your whole world is gas. I mean, it just means that you are a company man yeah. at home, at work, in the stomach. <laughs> In the stomach, in the lower intestine. Mm. In 1929, he comes back from the hospital after huffing a bunch of gas. Mm. Uh, and he starts hearing voices again. Oh, which, okay. Yeah, you know, uh, which led him to join the first Pentecostal Baptist Church of Jeffersonville. And why did he choose that one, you ask? Well, mainly because the church was pastored by a man named Roy Davis, a founding member of the second Ku Klux Klan yep. and a leading recruiter for the organization. Mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. And he would later become the national imperial wizard of the KKK. Um, but essentially, William was overjoyed because the voices had led him to the people who in his mind had protected him as a child. This is fucking dumb. This guy's fucking dumb. And I was on his side for so long, and now I hate him. You just wait until he starts making up his own belief system in the next episode. Oh, tight. Woo! Oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. it is. It's as racist, but way weirder than you would oh, think. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's exactly as racist as you would think for somebody from the clan, but then, like, he comes at it sideways, where you're just like, 
Man, even Blavatsky didn't get that weird. Okay, shit. Yeah. Also, like, what a magical childhood he's had where it's just like, the magic trees told me to join the funny ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what did the magical trees say when the funny ghosts cut them down to build crosses on people's lawns? Like, <laughs> the giving tree gave everything, and it was just trying to tell you that you were going to move to Jefferson, Indiana. Yeah. No one ever talks about how the giving tree was turned into a burning cross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The giving tree is actually a like a self-help book for Ents on how to set boundaries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That uh, book's fucked up, actually, now that I think about it. If you think about the tree as a living, breathing, like, person with its own sentience. Yeah, that that tree needs to learn that you can't feed people from your own cup if your cup is empty. Exactly. That's why I never ask anyone for breast milk anymore. Yeah, you shouldn't. Until they've had their fill of breast milk. Right, until they've drank enough of their own breast milk, then for you. Uh, So... Hashtag share the titty. Oh, no. Free the nipple. That's what that's all about, right? Oh, God. So Roy Davis, future leader of the Klan, Mm. baptizes William Branham into his church and sensing his enthusiasm for both God and the KKK. Six months later, he ordains him as a lay minister, which we've talked about lay ministers before. It's people who are not have not been to seminary. And are ordained pretty much in name only. They don't adhere to any specific doctrine. They can basically say whatever they want. Beware the lay minister, essentially. Yeah. Annie makes him an elder in the church. Now, again, this is a church with a lot of clan members as elders. So, like, a lay minister, par for the course, honestly, at this point. So... They also, one of the other elders of the church, was the KKK's Imperial Clud, K-L-U-D-D. I know. I know. It's their word for chaplain, which is some bullshit. I know. I know. And I remember. But it is just like, what a perfect, like, a sound to describe somebody who would be in the clan. You know what I mean? Like, there's a real fucking clud, dude. Oh, shit, dude. I ate too much cheese. I got to go take a massive clud. (laughs) I'm overcome with gas. (laughs) (laughs) I need to take a clud. Uh, Now, the clud at the time was a man named Caleb Ridley. So Caleb Ridley, Roy Davis, and William Branham start traveling and having revivals around the area. Now... Later in life, when associations with the Klan became a little more unsavory, William Branham would claim all kinds of different things regarding when he was introduced to Pentecostalism in general. Um, and this church that they're part of is Pentecostal, but not very extreme. They they believe in tongues and faith healing, but that's kind of par for course the course at the time. And they believe in it in the sense of we will pray over you as you heal. This is not the extreme revival version of faith healing, but William Branham's about to take it to that place. Yeah. So. A lot of their extremism was in a couple other sectors. Yeah. If you know what we're yeah. 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 Uh, they had an extreme lack of melanin in their church, I would say, <laughs> most likely. Uh, and an extreme excess of crosses and fire. So, and probably yeah, sheets. Guess- I guess, I mean, I don't know. That's got to feel a little bad, right? To be a minister and having to burn a cross. I mean, I feel like my personal belief is that 
if racism has no place in Christianity at all, anywhere yeah. ever. And so I feel like if you're going to do any sort of master race shit, get the fuck out. So like, yeah, it should bother you to burn a cross. It should have bothered you a lot more before you got to the cr- cross burning, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, fair enough. But as we'll find out, this church is really just a front to recruit for the clan. We'll find Ooh, out in just a sec. Okay, rad. Yeah. So while they're touring... Uh, and and doing these revivals, William meets another group that is also kind of doing revivals at the time. It's called William Souder School of the Prophets, and they are in league with someone called the British Israelites. You can probably guess, if you've listened to enough of our show, what the British Israelites deal is. They think they're the true Jews. End of story. (laughs) Is, Is there historical data to back that up? No, of course not. Of course there's not. It is total nonsense. Uh, but they believe it. Basically, anytime you hear somebody say that they're the true Jews, what they're really saying is that they're very anti-Semitic. That's right. all you got to know. <laughs> right, 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 right. And they don't even have, like, we have not done uh, African Hebrew Israelites uh, on the show really yet. We mentioned them like a while back as part of some other episodes. We haven't done an episode on them yet. But at least... Their version makes more sense to me where it's like, well, King Solomon had a relationship with this queen. And so that line and you're like, okay, that's possible. (laughs) Like, I think it's weird that you've latched onto it, but sure. But this one, there's like no possibilities. (laughs) No, hold on. I don't know what you're saying. So, I mean, what about the Israelites? The Lost Tribe relocating to Britain seems unfathomable to you. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. King Solomon and and the Queen of Sheba having children and that becoming a tribe that's not accounted for in the 12 tribes that then Mm -hmm. becomes the African Hebrew Israelites. Sure. Great. There's actually some historical precedent for that. There are other things about the group that are bonkers and real dangerous and not great but at least their history is maybe possible the british one they would at best they would have come over during roman times but that's like a completely wrong as far as history and where people are going it is nonsense it's as it's as nonsense as people as the mormons thinking jesus came to america like it is all nonsense yeah i mean if you want to talk facts sure but like us here at the british israelites we believe (laughs) that the israelites they wouldn't let you in either by the way (laughs) a proud people from the middle east came to britain became 15 shades lighter and immediately started boiling all their meats okay (laughs) Hey, don't talk about the Mick Cohens like that. <laughs> it's fucking stupid is what we're saying. It's stupid. And I can't tell you how many different groups are like, we're the true Jews, but also the people calling themselves Jews are evil. Here's my thing. Stop trying to be the true Jews and just start trying to be nice people who love their neighbor like the Bible commands you. Like, come on. What the fuck? Like, what are we doing here? Nah, yeah, well, I don't know. That's the thing, Paige. I have neighbors. Fuck them, honestly. I mean, my, my neighbors are all Jehovah's Witnesses, so, like, fuck them. I think there's two things I think about my neighbors. One, fuck them. Two, damn, I covet his wife. You know what I'm saying, Paige? <laughs> I do not. That is not <laughs> something I share. Um. Anyway, 
So you get who the British Israelites are. But William Souter School of the Prophets, who are they? Well, they're a little different. William Souter was a former policeman in Louisville, Kentucky, and he founded what is called the Gospel Assembly Churches. Run-of-the-mill revival shit until he passed away in the 50s and passes his church to a man named T.M. Jolly. And recently, uh, people have come forward to say that there was uh, what they called heavy shepherding, which is basically controlling their activities, finances, and possessions and relationships within the church. The church has refuted these claims, obviously, but unfortunately in 1993... He was convicted of child sexual abuse and received probation for molesting girls who sought counseling from him. So I would guess that some of that was probably happening around this time as well because everything is awful. Yeah. So they run into those people and he picks up some of the more controlling aspects of their group and he'll go on to use them a little bit later. But... All this time William spent on tour with Roy Davis was about to come to an end. Because here's the thing about Roy Davis. In addition to being a grand wizard of the KKK or imperial wizard because he's like the national guy, he was also a career criminal. (laughs) Tight. Okay. From 1916 to 1917, he and his brother ran a cash and check forging scheme across multiple states after being arrested in Georgia and serving time. But since this is old days and documents don't matter, once he got out of prison, he just declared himself a lay preacher under a new name and joined a church as their pastor. How, you ask? By pretending the gaps in his resume were times that he was a missionary in Egypt instead of being in prison. (laughs) Did they believe it? Of course they did. Okay, awesome. That's 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 super sick. That's actually something that I miss, uh, and I wish that I could go back to. Like when I have gaps in my resume, and they're like, "What were you doing?" I could be like, uh, "I was following Jesus," instead of being <laughs> like, "I smoked a bunch of weed for a really long time." <laughs> right. Uh, now. The church lets him in, and he uses the influence of that church to publish a violent anti-Catholic newspaper. Okay. Because the KKK hates Catholics. It's like I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I forgot how staunchly anti-Catholic they were. Here's the thing. It's the Catholics. So, like, I know there are reasons to be upset with the Catholic church. I'm not going to stand here and act like there aren't. We have all seen the news for the last 40 years. <laughs> like, oh, what? Is, is something, has something oh, been going yeah, on at the Catholic uh, yeah, Church? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, turns out that like a lot of times the Catholic Church is a very big organization. And mm-hmm. with any large organization, there are going to be people that abuse the power that they gain through that organization and use it to harm children. And instead of like reporting that like you're supposed to, uh, the Catholic Church would just like move them to different places and conceal that abuse for a long time. And it's a huge problem. And oh, that's man. why people are cracking down. And they're not the only ones looking at you, Mormons. Uh, <laughs> it's a problem in many religious organizations. Yeah, but but I mean, like, that sounds terrible, but surely that happened long ago and it's not currently happening anymore, right, Definitely Paige? still happening. 
Oh, wow. It's like we should do something about it. I mean, I, I, again, I, I am of the belief that any, anyone working within a church should be a mandatory reporter. And so if any of this comes up, you should report it. (laughs) You should not be able to just shift people around. I think you should call that shit out when you see it. It's fucked up. So all that said, uh, his newspaper about the Catholics was not really focusing on those things. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was focusing on like real George Soros pentaveret bullshit of like the Pope, like borderline the Pope's are reptilian <laughs> level nonsense. Okay, um, but actually, no, that is an important issue that we should be talking yeah. about. Not the on the same level, obviously. Pope, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we should focus on the. I don't know if I was going to describe it in a world, right, I would right, say right. maybe real aspects, sure. Right, right but right. also, how come his eyes close fronted down like a Star Wars <laughs> door? Yeah, this dude, he's writing an anti-Catholic newspaper about like Da Vinci Code bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like kids are being actively molested and he's like yeah 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 but like where is the codex like th- that's what he's doing uh, you gotta love somebody who comes so close it's just like the <laughs> catholic know. church is bad yes because yes, and and he's like because of the secret world government and you're just like god <sighs> damn it damn like, fuck shit shit okay. anyway so some of his congregation members found out about it because while the KKK, super anti-Catholic, uh, regular churchgoers who weren't part of the KKK were like, I mean, they're different and we don't like the whole kid touching part. But like, other than that, like, they're just Catholic. Like, it's not, they're different than us, but it's not like they're not a risk. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what are we doing here? Uh, and so they started doing some investigating into his past And found out that not only was he a career criminal, but also that he had been holding KKK meetings in their church. And they were like, um, holy shit. Uh, no. But then also found out that he had abandoned his wife and children in Texas and had been trying to organize other churches to get KKK groups growing at their churches. So that church was like, get the fuck out. Like, get out of our church. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Which was convenient because that same year he ran into legal problems again because he no longer had the church facilities to start publishing his terrible newspaper. Mm -hmm. And so he purchased a printing press so he could do it independently. But he did it with a bad check. So he swindled the seller out of $1,000. So what does he do? left the state uh, because states don't talk to each other at this time. Hell yeah. And And that's the way we like it. We like no coordination because that always goes well. Everything is a competition if you're a law enforcement agent. Exactly. So he leaves the state by train with his wife, new wife, second wife, and five-year-old daughter. Remember, he's still married to the other family. (laughs) Never cleared that up. So this is second family. They traveled to Oklahoma, where he continued holding revival meetings as a preacher and then using wherever church was hosting him to also have a KKK recruiting meeting. He then moved on to Tennessee and built his own church. But after people discovered that he was using it to recruit for the Klan, they kind of got in his face about it. 
And he threatened the cops because apparently the cops were like, you can't have the clan here. And he's just like, the hell I can't. So they tried to arrest him again. So then he moved to Jefferson, Indiana, where he had the church where he met William. So this is all pre now. Yeah. Met William at that church in Indiana and they built up that church, held revivals, went on tour. So now they're on tour. It's 1930. They've dabbled with the British Israelites and Souter's crew. Um, and while that's all happening, unbeknownst to them, someone had reported Roy Davis to the police because he was shacking up with a 17-year-old minor named Allie Lee Garrison. Uh, and apparently at the time, it was illegal to live with a woman for immoral purposes. I think it was also because she was 17. Yeah. And in the state at the time, that was still considered a minor. And they also were holding him accountable because he had abandoned his second family <laughs> to do it. And so they were like, you definitely owe child support to these two families. Yeah. And also you can't just like live with a minor. Wow. So he's just like all around terrible to children, huh? All around terrible to children. And so the officers, the police officers showed up mid service and arrested him in front of the church. Mm, fuck yeah. That rocks, dude. Yep. So the church, the police take him from the church. They turn him over to the feds because it turns out that girl he'd been living with, he had taken her on tour with them. So that's actually the trafficking of minors over state lines Ooh. under something called the Man Act at the time. He fought the charges and claimed that he was her foster father. Oh, worse, dude. At which point it is revealed that he had been living with her for six years. Oh, that's, that's, you just broke my brain with how gross that is. Over 60 congregants from the church showed up to speak on his behalf. Um, but nevertheless, he is convicted, but he only serves 10 days before he makes bail and books it to Mexico where he marries that teenage girl. Oh, my God. But do you know how much of a shit bag you have to be to get charged with sex trafficking in 1930? Like, women are still not even fully recognized as people in 1930. <laughs> like, you have to be aggressively trafficking people. Yeah, it's fucking gross. Yeah, ugh, Jesus Christ. So we're so, dealing with the Great Gatsby version of fucking Dane Cook over here. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I'm proud of myself for that one. <laughs> I'm but proud yeah. that you knew that The Great Gatsby took place at this time. Hell yeah, I read occasionally. Every so often I read a book and it's not a KFC menu. So, he leaves before they can do final sentencing in that case. And so because he skips town, they're like, we're going to investigate further. So they show up at the church and they start looking through the church's finances Oh, shocker. He's cooking the books at the church and embezzling from the church. So they charge him with racketeering because oh. he's taking money to pay for his trafficking. They hit my boy with a Rico charge. Rico charge. Oh, the same shit. year. Literally within weeks. Now, the weird thing about this is they end up settling out of court 
which I think involved him like paying back a, a amount of whatever. But by then she's married to him. So like there's some sort of weird legal weirdness where he is somehow able to pay this off. I don't know why. This is a this is a weird question and only slightly related to what's at hand. There there's like there's got to be like a precedent set where like if you get married in another country it just be, it's like you're like it's legal everywhere, right? For the most part, yeah, yeah. I don't mean like I don't mean like you take your seventeen-year-old weird fucking like situation to Mexico. You get married and it's gross and terrible, like this guy. I mean like if I get married in America or like I go to Switzerland and I get married, say, and then I travel around. That marriage is like legally binding everywhere, right? So I think. It, I think you're supposed to get documents in your country of origin. So, like, when you get married in America, mm-hmm. uh, you're required to get a marriage license in America. And you actually do that before you get married. Mm-hmm. And then usually at your marriage ceremony, your officiant as well as two witnesses sign those documents. And then the officiant, at least in my case, the officiant did this turns in that paperwork to the state or wherever Mm. your marriage license is from. uh, And then they file that so that your marriage is on record in that place. Typically that would be the place in which you live. Now, if you are getting married abroad, like if you are having Hey, like, well, of course I'm going to marry abroad. Oh, hey, hey, oh, hey forget about it. People can marry whatever they want, but... <laughs> I don't think that is true, but they can marry whoever they want whoever. for the most part. Yes, that I'm yes. Gonna, I'm going to marry this chicken sandwich. I mean, it's the world liberals want. Um, Paige, Paige, I killed my wife. I ate no, my wife, Paige. No, no. Uh, if you're getting married um, outside of the country, like a, uh, what do they call it, destination wedding. Sure. I think you still have to get your license for where you live, but then you may also need to get documentation where you're getting married. But I think the more important one is the one where you live. Like if Jake and I travel out of the country, our marriage is still valid. Okay. All right. All right. I just didn't know if legally speaking, you got a hall pass. You know what I'm saying? Well, you, you kind of do uh, in, in the sense that like, if let's say we both got arrested and we were like, we're married. They would then check with America to be like, are these people married? And then America would be like, yes. Uh, but here's part of why. I suspect that he made sure to quickly marry her in Mexico, where for some reason it was more advantageous to do so, probably legality reasons. Your spouse, your married spouse, cannot testify against you mm. or or has the option to not testify against you, I should say. Some people still choose to. Um, and in very rare cases, they can compel that. But most of the time, in most cases, they cannot force your spouse to testify. So Damn. that's why you will see people marry. That's why sometimes you'll see abusers marry their victims because they then can't testify. And it could be in Mexico because he was technically already married twice. Yeah. They didn't yeah, ask questions. Yeah. Fair enough. Also, like, just hearing about your the, the process for getting married, I just realized I probably can't ever get married because the two witnesses, I don't know no snitches, all right? Yeah, ain't I don't no know no one, snitches. Ain't no one in my crew snitching, all right? Even if it's for true love. There you go. Or at least tax write-offs and health insurance. Okay, yeah, that does sound pretty sick. I mean... <laughs> 
my chicken sandwich, uh, my widow, my my ex, the chicken sandwich. The chicken sandwich. <laughs> she had a great job. Rest her, rest her, rest her soul. Rest her soul. Uh, now. She had one breast. <laughs> it was delicious. <laughs> it was extra crispy. So, through all of this, the church basically doesn't have a pastor because their pastor's in and out of prison. A lot of people are losing faith in him. <laughs> yeah, I could, <laughs> I could see that. So who should step up but his second in command, William Branham, now armed with his own church, free reign and the backing of the clan, he starts building his own empire. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, it's a wild one. Yeah. A wild one today. God damn, this is insane. Also, we gotta write the clan versus the mob movie. Like a hundred percent. I'm amazed that. that no one has made bootlegging clan versus mob. Like the more I read about it, the more I was like, how is this not in history books? <laughs> like yeah, boot- this is so interesting. Bootlegging continues to be the coolest crime because first of all, if you get far enough away from it in that period of time, people are like yeah, I mean, they should have never outlawed alcohol, and these brave souls were making yeah. sure that they were yeah. fighting the law. So, like, first of all, history loves you. Second of all, you could be fighting the Klan. Third of all, fucking NASCAR, baby, okay? NASCAR came from bootlegging. You didn't know that? I, no, I didn't know this. I, I didn't know any of you said NASCAR. I was like, how are they related to this? Okay. Is it because Evan Williams sponsors a bunch of them? <laughs> What's no, happening? So, so here's here's how it works. Uh, the way that, so they used to have the, the, like, the getaway vehicles, right? And they had to be super fast. Right. And then eventually different bootleggers, uh, and I think this is, not necessarily bootlegging during prohibition but maybe rather later or it could have been there i it's i brain fuzzy basically bootleggers would race their cars against other bootleggers to oh. prove that their getaway cars were faster ba 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 boxcar racing nascar yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah baby yada 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 S- stuff happened nascar <laughs> yeah Earnhardt. alcohol alcohol yes. is illegal yada yada yada, yada dale, dale Earnhardt, Earnhardt jeff gordon yeah. bootlegging is illegal yada 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 danica patrick <laughs> <laughs> here's I the fun that's... thing about bootlegging the getaway cars could only make left turns <laughs> <laughs> yeah no one ever talks about that yeah Oh they were just my bootlegging God. in a giant circle around the country. What a fucking, what a, hey, what a killer episode. This is so much better than last week's episode. Um, <laughs> mostly because I don't have to talk about sad shit. Uh, look, hey, I'm, I'm Armando. I'm your boy. I'm here to tell you that I've got a show today when this episode comes out, and I don't remember when it's at. So look at, look it up on Instagram. That's uh, at Mondo does stuff. M A N D O does stuff. All one word. Twitter, TikTok, Twitch. It's all the same, baby. Come watch me do some live stand up. Um, and go listen to Head Down by Mom's Home. Yep, I'm promoting it twice in a row, baby. It's a good song, and you should listen to it. And that's all for me, folks. Uh, Bye-bye now. (laughs) Hey, it's your girl, Paige. I am roast battling on the 23rd. So, uh, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, unless I have dates wrong, in which case, I don't know, check Instagram. Uh, you can listen to me on Horror Virgin and Romancing the Pod and Blackheart Rehab. You can follow me on Instagram at Rampage Wesley 
or on TikTok at Rampage Wesley or on Twitter at Page Wesley to find out more show details, etc. And hey, if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can by going to at Colt Podcast. Or at Cult Podcast Show. Oh, you want to send us an email? Guess what, buddy? Our shit's wide open. Send that to cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. And if you are a bootlegger Ooh, and yeah. you want to send us some of your bootleg stuff that we probably shouldn't drink because it might be poison and we don't actually know you in person, but if you want to send it anyway, you can send it 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like, like the, shining, the shining, like the moon shining, like the moon shining, Los Angeles, <laughs> California, nine zero zero six five. Oh, if you send me moonshine cherries, which are legal and good oh, and delicious, cherries. I still remember the first time I ever tried one. My mom gave it to me as an adult. I should say I was an adult. I was a fully grown legal age to drink adult. And my mom was like, you're going to eat one of these moonshine cherries today. And she sounded just like that when she said I, it too. I, like, Ma, are she in the room? Like, that yeah. was amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking brutal because it's like you're already drinking alcohol, and then it's like half a shot in a cherry. It's fucking yep. brutal. I love it. So send me moonshine cherries, please, and thank you. Bye. And I think for this one, I'm gonna say, don't drink anything the clan hands you because they're fucking pussies. Yeah. But also, don't drink the Kool Aid. Bye. Bye. I'm going to marry this chicken sandwich. <laughs>